Well, I want you to open up your uh, Bibles with me today to Luke chapter 10. And in Luke chapter 10, we're going to today conclude our series that we've been walking through uh, entitled Unknown Gods. Now, you know, we've talked about this a number of times, it's based out of Acts chapter 17, it's based out of the concept, the idea that Paul was walking through the streets of Athens and he sees all the altars and he sees all the gods and all the things that uh, the people there, the images that they had built to to bow down to, that uh, they worshipped in so many different areas, in so many different ways, in so many different places, and worshipped so many different gods, that there was one there that said the unknown God, and as a result of that, uh, Paul used that to tell them about the one true. God, of course, who is the God of heaven, the God of the Bible that we talk about here today. And we've talked about how in our society, in our culture, that we have created those unknown gods as well. How we have allowed ourselves to create in our culture, in our context, and sometimes even in our congregations, the things that we worship, the things that we uphold of of high value and sometimes of even higher value than, than God himself. We've talked about things like materialism. We've talked about uh, things like pleasure. Last week, Charles did an amazing job talking about uh, relativism, where there is no real truth, that it's just whatever that you believe and, and whatever works for you, and as long as you're sincere, that all is well. Well, today what we're going to do, we're going to conclude, and I think it's a timely message, a timely word that comes from God's Word today, that we're going to talk about the God of tribalism today. You say, wait a minute, what do you mean by tribalism? And no, I'm not talking about the Washington football team. What I'm talking about here today is the idea that we allow ourselves to buy into, to get to the place that we segment society based on what they look like or what they act like or what they believe or where they come from. In fact, if you look in the dictionary and find out what tribalism means, it says this. I want to read this definition to you. It's the attitude and the practice of harboring such a strong feeling of loyalty or bond to one's tribe that one excludes or even demonizes those of another. Now, does that sound a little bit like where we are in our country today? Because what we've allowed ourselves to do is we have fallen into the trap of tribalism where we have created a context in our nation, we've created a situation in our country where we get into a group, we find ourselves kind of, you know, lining up with or aligning with individuals that maybe vote the way that we do or look the way that we do or act the way that we do or have the same color skin that we do, and we connect with them and we like them and we hang out with them, and then what we do is we attack everybody else. And I think you probably noticed that if you've spent any time at all on Facebook or spent any time at all on Twitter or or other social media or websites, if you've been paying attention to the news, tribalism is alive and well in our nation today. Everybody is divided. Everybody is angry. Man, we love to kind of hang out with the people who, who agree with us. And man, we want to put everyone else down. And when we do that, know this, and I, and I want you to hear me and I want you to understand this, that any time that we devalue other people because they might disagree with us or because they might be different than us or because they might look different than us, any time that we put those people down, any time that we devalue them, any time that we ostracize them, any time that we do anything at all to attack them, understand what that is. That is sin. It is absolutely sin. Now, can we disagree with them on issues? Absolutely. 
but we cannot demonize them. Can we have differing political opinions? You bet we can. It's healthy, but we can't try to destroy the other people. Can we have friends that, that, that we like to hang out with more than others? Of course, we all have people that we love to socialize with and be with, and that's fine. But anytime we devalue other people, what we are saying is that they are not as good as we are, that they're not as of much value or worth as we are. And that is sin, because the Bible tells me, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. The Bible tells me that He came to seek and to save that which is lost. The Bible tells me that He is not willing that any should perish. And what that means is, is that every person whose heart is beating, every person who takes a breath in our world today, they are of value to God, and if they're of value to God, they better be of value to us. And so today what we're going to talk about is how we can defeat the God of tribalism. That we can actually set those things aside. Now listen, this is not a political message. Uh, there are political messages as it relates to tribalism in our world today, and many of them are based not on biblical truth, but based on political ideology. They, they flow out of ideas that don't line up with the Bible at all. There are issues that, that they're talking about and, and protests that are taking place. I get it. I understand protests where they're out there in the streets and they're burning things down sometimes. And they're not doing that based on biblical truth. They're not doing that based on the idea that of all people are of value to God. They're doing that out of a political ideology, and that is not what this sermon is about today. Because that too is sin. Today what we're going to talk about is what God's Word says. And if God's Word says it, it's something we ought to be talking about. Don't you agree with that? And so let's go to Luke chapter 10. I want to read this passage to you today. And as we read this passage, understand this is Jesus speaking. It's not a politician speaking. It's not a preacher speaking. It's not a, you know, a pundit on the local news shows speaking. It's Jesus speaking. In Luke chapter 10, beginning with verse 25, let me share this with you. It says, just then, an expert in the law, he stood up to test him, to test Jesus, saying these words, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Well, Jesus responded, what is written in the law, he asked him. How do you read it? And the man answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, he told him. Do this and you will live. But wanting to justify himself, the man asked Jesus again, And who is my neighbor? And Jesus took up the question and said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him, they beat him up, and they fled, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. In the same way, a Levite, when he arrived at the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan on his journey came up to him, and when he saw the man, he had compassion. He went over to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on olive oil and wine, and then he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said, Take care of him, and when I come back, I'll reimburse you for whatever extra you spent. Which of these three do you think provided or approved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? Jesus asked. The one who showed mercy to him, he said. 
And then Jesus told him, go and do the same. Now, we know this story. This story is the story of the Good Samaritan. We've heard it so many times. We've, we've read it. We've studied it. We've walked through it. We've had the opportunity of kind of digging into it and breaking it apart. And, and so we, we get the story. We understand the dynamics of what was taking place here. When this person questioned Jesus, this man, this person who was a, an expert in religious law. In other words, what their duty and their responsibility was, was to take the law of the Old Testament and to break it down and to make sure that they, you know, look at every little word, they parse every little statement to make sure that everyone follows the law to the nth degree. To make sure that there's nothing that is left out, nothing that is segmented, nothing that falls by the wayside. This person's responsible to make sure that people were following the Old Testament law. So we can take from that, we can get from that the idea that what this person was also trying to do was trying to dismiss or to discredit the message that Jesus was giving because the message that Jesus was preaching, the, the gospel that he was preaching was different than what they had always followed. And so when that man tested Jesus, the word tested came up here, uh, the, when he tested Jesus, when he, he questioned him about this idea of what must I do to inher inherit eternal life, and then he gave the answer when Jesus said, what does the law say? What does that thing that you're an expert in say? And the man quoted Deuteronomy, and he quoted Leviticus, and he said, well, to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, oh, and to love your neighbors yourself. And Jesus said, hey, you've got it right. That's the right answer. But then what happened is the man wanted to push in a little further. Because the man was not expecting Jesus to give him an answer that came from the Old Testament. He was expecting him to give him a new answer. And so this man said, well, I've got to kind of, you know, twist the knife a little bit more here. I've got to figure out how I can discredit him some way. And so he said, oh, so tell me then, who is my neighbor? And then what Jesus did is he took the argument, he took the question, and he completely flipped it upside down and began to tell the story of the Good Samaritan. The idea that the man was traveling from Jerusalem, which was about 2,500 feet above sea level, traveling down to Jericho, which is 800 feet below sea level, about a 3,300 foot drop. And in fact, today, if you were to travel that same road, you would notice that it winds through these mountains and it winds through this, this isolated area of Israel where there are rocks all over. And there were people that were known to hide out in those hills and hide out behind those rocks and to, to rob people as they traveled down to Herod's palace down in Jericho. And so the story, you get it, you understand what took place here, right? Two people came by, they did nothing. One person came by and he helped that person. And so Jesus used this to answer the question, who is my neighbor? In other words, who should I care about? Who are the people that I'm supposed to love? The Bible tells me I'm to love my neighbor as myself. So who are those people? And so today what I want to do is just break down this passage a little bit kind of walk out of it today with a little bit of an idea of how we can apply it to our lives, apply it to, to the principles and what we must face and what we do and how we live to see, like, how do I treat other people? In other words, how do I get away from division and get towards unity? And the first thing that we recognize here, the first way to defeat tribalism in our minds as a follower of Jesus Christ is recognize that it has to flow from our own spiritual journey, from our own personal relationship with Jesus Christ. The only way to truly uh, love our neighbor, it comes from, it flows from, and it begins in our personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Look what it says in verse 27. 
The man's answered, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your strength, with all of your mind. That's an Old Testament statement. Jesus quoted that back many times in the passage to tell you. Matthew chapter 22 says the same thing. Listen, the only way for us to live the way that God intended for us to live is to love him with our whole beings. We cannot figure out how to do this from a political argument. We cannot figure out how to do this by people that sit in Washington and make laws and and pass those laws down to the American people on how we're supposed to treat other people. It does not flow from policy. It does not flow from legislation. It flows from our love for God, period. The only way for us to actually get to the place where we can be united regardless of our differences, regardless of whether we have white skin or black skin or brown skin, regardless of of how we can figure out how to navigate through the political differences in our society, the only way for us to truly have unity in our nation is not based on politics, it's based on Jesus. We have to love the Lord our God with all of our hearts, souls, mind, and strength. That's why it's so important that we recognize, man, that we come together and we study God's Word. Because I can tell you this, we can never figure it out on our own. We cannot figure this out from our human uh, experience. We can't figure this out from a human perspective because we are not smart enough. We are not wise enough. We are not good enough. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 3 that we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every single one of us, we have no way to get there without making sure it starts here. And so we have to recognize that our relationship with Him is the key if we're going to truly love our neighbor, if we're going to be all that God intends for us to be, to to defeat this idea that we are better than other people, to defeat this idea that, that, that one group is more important than another, is it starts in our own relationship with Jesus Christ of recognizing just simply this, that if it were not for Jesus, we would have no hope. Jesus died on the cross, and He was buried, and He rose again. And if we did not have that gift that we could believe in, that person that we could believe in to bring us salvation, then we would be people of no value, and we would be people with no hope. But when you put your hope and your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ, let me just tell you something. It doesn't matter where you've come from, and it doesn't matter where you were born. It doesn't matter the color of your skin. Here's what I know. You are a child of the King. It starts with our personal relationship with Jesus Christ. But we also have to recognize from this passage, this story that Jesus gave us, is that loving our neighbor can never flow from passivity. Loving our neighbor can never be a passive action on our part. Listen to what it says here in verses 31 and 32. A priest happened to be going down that road, and when he saw him, when he saw the man on the side of the road left for dead, he passed by on the other side. And then it goes on to say, in the same way, a Levite who, uh, when he arrived at that place, he saw him and he passed by on the other side as well. Now, Jesus used in this story to describe this idea of the Good Samaritan that we, this parable that we kind of lean on here today, he used a story of two people who have high value within the temple. The priest is the person who actually led the temple. The priests were the people who actually led all of Israel in the recognition and understanding of of following the law of Moses and making sure that they're doing the things that they're supposed to do in the temple. That was the priest's job. And so it says that when the priest came by and he saw the man left for dead, it says that he passed by on the other side. He walked around 
that man. Now, he may have walked around that man because of the old Levitical law, the old Old Testament law, that he could not be defiled by a dead body or, or someone who was dying, that, that they couldn't be left unclean. It could have been that he just didn't have the time. It could have been that he thought he was of more value than that person. We don't know what the, uh, the makeup or the, the racial makeup of that person in the gutter was. We have no idea, but we know this, that the priest, the person who was supposed to be the, the, the picture of God's law, the picture of God's love, and it says this, he just passed by on the other side. The Levite, who is also someone who served in the temple, who helped the priests carry out their work to make sure that everything flowed within the temple, that person came by and it says that he likewise passed by. They ignored, they walked by, they, they, they did not take a moment to even care about the person who was lying in the street dying. Now let me tell you what that tells us. We cannot ever expect, because these were both religious people, respected people, people of high value within the church back in those days. Know this, we cannot love our neighbor. We cannot be who God called us to be. We cannot make sure that we are following God's path of loving the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and loving our neighbors ourselves by passively walking by a world that is hurting of passively walking by people who are by the wayside, fallen, hurting, dying, with no help and with no hope and with nowhere to turn. We cannot keep doing church and ignoring the world that desperately needs hope that comes from the gospel. And so if we can't do that passively, then the third thing we see from this passage is loving our neighbor requires an active step. It requires actually doing something, being active in our faith. Verse 33, the first part of that verse, but a Samaritan on his journey, and listen to what it says here, came up to him. Now, a Samaritan, by the way, was someone who was looked down on, of no value whatsoever. The, Israel, uh, the Israeli people, they had wanted nothing to do with the Samaritans, and that had a long story. We don't have time to go into it today. That went all the way back when uh, the, 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 the kingdom divided under uh, Rehoboam when Solomon died. We're not going to go back and tell the story there, but the Samaritans were people that no one wanted to be around. And so when Jesus turned this thing upside down, he didn't tell us, hey, you got to love the Samaritan. What he showed us is, is the Samaritan was the only one doing the right thing. And so it says that the Samaritan came by, and he came up to him. He took an active step towards making a difference. That means this. Jesus was teaching us, if we want to truly be all that God intended for us to be, then we can't just simply keep walking by the world. We have to engage the world. That we actually have to get to know people who are different than us. That we have to actually care about what's going on in their lives. We have to minister to them and encourage them and share with them the truth of the gospel. We actually have to take an active step towards engagement. I remember many years ago, I was uh, probably 18, 19, 20 years old. My dad was... Uh, it had just come through a, a time when he and Larry Flint had been involved in a, in, in a very lengthy legal battle over some things that Larry Flint, by the way, the publisher of Hustler Magazine, not your typical church guy, a guy that's a little bit different than we are, actually a whole lot different than we are. And they'd come through this lengthy battle, and yet there was a time when I was with my dad, and, and we had the opportunity of, uh, of dad and Larry Flint were doing a debate, and I was there. And, and after the debate, we were sitting in the hotel restaurant, and, and, and dad walked into the restaurant. I was following along with dad, and he went over, and he sat down at the table with Larry Flint, and it was planned. There were seats there for both of us, and we sat down there, and we had a meal together. 
And it was just really strange for me because I couldn't figure out how this man that my dad had been preaching against, this man that my dad had been fighting with, this man that my dad obviously preached against everything this man stood for, and yet here we are having a meal. And they're going back and forth and they're laughing. They're talking about baseball, of all things, and sports. And by the way, they were talking about diets. I mean, they're having a conversation like you and I would have a conversation. I mean, just having a normal, regular, everyday conversation, having all the, you know, conversations that just were, were something that you would expect with friends. Couldn't figure it out. Later that night, I asked my dad, like, how in the world can you sit there and talk with this man and laugh with this man and joke with this man like your friends? How in the world can you do that when he's the antithesis of everything that you preach? My dad said, well, number one, we are friends. And number two, because I think that maybe there might come a time in Larry Flint's life when he's hurting and when he's lonely and when he's desperate and when he wants to reach out to someone who can help him and minister to him and he's going to pick up the phone and he's going to call somebody that he can trust. I want to earn the right to be that call. That stuck with me that day and it stuck with me till this. Because what that tells us is exactly what this story is all about. That you don't have to be the same as that person. You don't have to look like them. You don't have to act like them. You don't have to vote like them to care for them. Jesus clearly told us, man, you've got to love your neighbor. I think we need a dose of that in our world today. I think we need to get back to that idea, that active step. And so that's what the story Jesus was telling us here. The Samaritan actually came up to that man who was lying in the gutter. It tells us our third thing, which is a picture of what the Samaritan did. Loving our neighbor always requires reflecting God's love. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 gives us a picture of that kind of love, a love that is patient and a love that is kind, a love that doesn't hold records of wrongs, a love that is always persevering. A love that is always faithful. A love that never fails. You see, that's the kind of love that God has for us, but it's the kind of love that God wants us to have for others as well. You go back to this passage in verse 33, in the second part of that verse, it says the Samaritan, when he saw the man, he had compassion. Do you think that if in our culture today, with all the division that we see, that if we would actually have compassion for one another, that it would change the narrative of everything that we face and everything that we see? The answer is clearly yes. And that's what Jesus was teaching in this passage. Man, you want to you understand what it is that you're supposed to do. You want to know how to love your neighbor. Have compassion for your neighbor, regardless of what yard sign they might have out. We drive up and down the streets now, man. We see yard signs for every kind of candidate and every single issue, right? And we drive down our streets and, and we can, you know, we see all these signs that are constantly blaring out at us, you know, vote for this person, vote for that person, vote for this thing, vote for that thing. And here's the deal, recognize this, God wants us to love every single one of them, regardless of what the yard sign says. And so we've got to make sure we recognize that God intends for us to reflect God's love in every situation. So going back to the question that this man asked of Jesus, who is my neighbor? We've got to understand what Jesus was teaching here is we must change our focus to not who should I accept, but rather who should I serve. You see, the Samaritan made the difference not for the fact that he just simply said, oh, that's a nice guy. It's because he took the active step of going over and doing something to help him, to minister to him. Now understand this though. 
Loving our neighbor does not mean that we ever have to sacrifice our beliefs or our biblical truth. Doesn't mean you have to lay down on the issues that are important to you. We've talked about it many times here. We will never, ever, ever waver from our belief that every life matters to God, unborn and born. We will not waver from that truth. We know that every, every life matters to God. But because we believe that, that doesn't mean that we can't have a relationship that encourage and pray with and minister to someone who holds a differing value, a different belief. We don't have to lay down what we believe. We don't have to change our, our views and our values just simply to love people. Loving people means we can actually hold on to those things, but like Dad talked about, earn the right to be trusted and earn the right to be heard. Go back into this passage, or actually not this passage, a different passage I want to share with you, Ephesians chapter 4. In verses 4, it says, there is one body and one spirit. And just as you were called to one hope at your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in all. Here's the deal. We can disagree, but we do not have to be divided. We can disagree on issues, but we do not have to be divided. We can stand up for what we believe in. We can vote for the candidates that we like, that we had the same values that we have, but it does not mean we can demonize those who do not. We have to love, because ultimately, the hope for this nation and the hope for this world is not who wins an election on Tuesday. The hope for this world, the hope for this nation, is who won the battle many years ago when Jesus walked out of that tomb victorious over sin, Satan, death, and the grave. And that is where we must put our trust, and that is where we must put our faith, and that is the message that we must continue to preach. So we don't have to lay down what we believe. We don't have to walk, about, walk away from uh, those things that, that we hold of value, biblical truth. But man, we've got to recognize that Jesus told us, just like that Samaritan who walked by that day and helped that person lying in the ditch, there are people just outside the walls of this church who desperately need to minister, be ministered to and desperately need hope and desperately need help. And God has sent us. It is our job and our responsibility. And so today... On this last Sunday before Election Day, on this last Sunday before all the madness, hopefully, of all the division and all the anger and all the the fighting about everything, on the last Sunday before that stuff comes to an end, I pray. Let's just make sure that, that on Wednesday morning that we recognize that none of us are Republicans and none of us are Democrats. None of us are liberals and none of us are conservatives. Here what we are. We are followers of Jesus Christ with our ultimate goal and our ultimate duty and our ultimate job is to tell the world that God loves them, that Christ died for them, that he was buried and that he rose again, and that Jesus is the answer for the world today. Let's pray. Father, thank you for who you are and what you've done through your son, Jesus. When he died and when he rose again, God, we give you the praise, we give you the glory in all that you have done. God, I pray there's someone here today that doesn't know you. Lord, I pray that today that they would recognize and hear and see that that message of the gospel is what can change their life for today and for eternity. And I pray that in a moment that they will make a decision, they will make a a, a step and a positive step, an active step in the right direction towards you and that they will say, I believe that Jesus is God's son. I believe that he died and that he rose again for me. Today, Father, forgive me of my sins and save me through your son, Jesus. And God will give you the praise for it. 
with their heads bowed and with their eyes closed. In a moment, our service is going to come to a conclusion. Our, our team is going to be gathered here at the front. And for those of you in this room, if today you want to come down and talk about who that Jesus is, man, I encourage you to just come down and talk with one of our, our team members, to pray with them, let them share with you who Jesus is. Maybe you want to come and just kneel here and pray for your family or friend. Maybe you want to come and pray for our nation. I can tell you, we need it. Maybe you want to come and join our church family. Come for baptism. Well, whatever God is telling you today, I pray that in a moment you'll make that step. If you're watching this, wherever you might be around the country, around the world, the message you've heard today is one that God loves you, and He does. That Christ died for you, and He did. And He rose again for you, He did. And He'll save you today if you'll just believe in Him. I encourage you to go to our website so we can share with you what that means and what that looks like and help you as you begin this brand new journey. Guys, it makes a difference. It makes a difference. Jesus is our hope. Jesus is our answer. And so I pray that today, no matter where you are and no matter what you're going through, no matter how bad this day might seem, today is the day that you can experience the power of the gospel if you only believe. Let's stand together. And just we're going to sing just for a moment. And as we do, the altar is open. Christ alone, cornerstone, weak made strong in the Savior's love. Through the storm, oh, He is Lord. He's Lord of all. Sing it once more, everybody. And I want to thank you for joining with us together today as we see what it is that God has done for us all. And today, if you've made a decision for Christ, or if you would like to talk further about what it is that God has done for you in the giving of His Son, Jesus, I would encourage you to email me at the address that is on the screen, pastor at trbc.org. We would love to connect with you to help you begin a brand new journey with Christ. If you would like to help contribute to our ministry as we take this message of the gospel around the world, go to the link on the screen today and help us help others with an amazing message of God's love.